Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. And welcome to Church of Maine. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. Um, Welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. Um, here at Church in Maine, uh, we talk about religion and public affairs, and I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. So for this episode, I want to first talk about the church where I serve, um, which is uh, First Christian Church of St. Paul, which is actually located in Roseville, Minnesota. Um, we're doing an experiment. So for the next year, we're basically taking a Sabbath. Um, we're trying to not do church as usual. We've just actually moved. We sold our building in the spring, and um, now we are sharing space with a Lutheran congregation and really trying to take a time to think about what we do we want to do next. Who are we? And so we're not kind of going to try to kind of do things as we've always done. Um, but we want to kind of take some time to stop, to focus on our spiritual walk, then our walk together as a congregation. And finally, hopefully in the spring, we'll then focus on the world outside the church. The whole point of this is, as I've said before, it's to stop, to slow down, to think about who we are as a congregation moving forward. Our culture is one where we're always kind of being asked for um, for our attention. And it always also seems that we are a culture that is performative. We're always trying to do something to get people's attention. And the church is no different. The church does a lot sometimes to try to get people interested to darken their doors. And all of that can be tiring. There is a need sometimes in our culture, which we don't do as well here, of Sabbath. Not necessarily that it means that we don't do anything, but it means resting, not focusing and doing things like we've always done them, but to slow down a bit, um, to take things in, to be more intentional. Those things in some ways are uncommon in our culture. So today I am talking with Kara Root. Um, she's the pastor of Lake Nokomis Presbyterian Church in Minneapolis, um, and she's been pastor there for a, nearly 15 years. Um, and I've known her for probably about that time. Um, 
maybe about a year or so into her call, um, the church did something unusual. And she'll explain this more in the interview. But basically, they decided that they weren't going to have Sunday worship every Sunday, but that at least twice a month, they would uh, take some, take a Sabbath where they didn't meet in worship. And as I said, the story is a bit more complicated about that. But what is interesting is that this is a story about how the congregation in many ways redefined and renewed itself. And it wasn't through, um, a new program or a new mission or coming out with a new mission statement or vision statement, but it was about taking time off and not doing things and wondering why they do what they do and do they keep doing what they do. I really had a great time talking with Tara. Um, and this was kind of really cool to talk about this concept of Sabbath especially on a congregational level, and I hope that it will be exciting for you as well. A little bit about her. She, uh, besides being the pastor at Lake Nokomis, she's also a certified spiritual director and Christian educator in the Presbyterian Church USA. She's written for a host of publications, including Christianity Today, Christian Century, and Working Preacher. And she is a first-time author as of um, and. Um, as of recent, um, she's author of The Deepest Belonging, a story of discovering how God meets us. And when she's not trying to write a book and she's actually writing a second book, she's also blogs at In the Here and Now. So let's listen uh, to Kara as she talks about the importance of Sabbath in our churches and also in our culture. Kara, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I think the first thing it would be good to talk about is um, what was um, Lake Nokomis like when you first um, came there? What was the congregation kind of looking for? And then what made you come up with, lead towards the idea of of Sabbath kind of as being kind of the center centering point of the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. So when I came, um, they had been through um, a, a couple of years of uh, reflection process. I think it's called revision, but they were trying to decide um, is there, uh, what is the future for our congregation? So this is one of those churches that, you know, in the fifties and sixties had, 500 people. It was, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, typical American mainline church. And, um, and they had gradually declined to, I think, you know, maybe around 35 people or so that were there on a regular basis, more on the rolls and um, had had a a pastor previous to me that they'd done a lot of reflection together about their life together. And they, they decided that they had this sense that God had something more for them, but they just didn't know what it was, but they were ready for some kind of adventure. And I think, 
that was that was key that they had looked the possibility of death in the face. I mean, they had sort of said, is it time to close? And they were open to whatever discernment came out of that. Um, and what came out of it was, you know, we're going to if we're going to close, we're going to go down swinging like we've got we have more life and energy. We just, we just don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was actually a really fun position to be hired into because I had just come from a place um, that had almost the opposite. They were they were hanging on for dear life to try to not die um, and were have were weren't willing to sort of face that death question. Um, and so and they had a lot of resources, so they could have gone on forever in sort of the hospice condition. But it meant that I had been doing a lot of reading about church change and and, um, you know, just navigating a lot of that, but having nowhere to put that energy. And now this congregation was ready for that kind of energy and wanted to kind of know what to do. So I I bucked the whole advice where they say, don't make any changes your first six months. (laughs) Yeah. That um, doesn't apply anymore. (laughs) Uh, They were ready for some things. And and it was my first um, solo pastoring job. I had been associate pastor before. And so I was a little bit um, unsure even how to start in a position like that. Um, and my husband really helped me with two young kids at the time. I was bringing my daughter in to work with me. Uh, and so he said, well, why don't you give yourself just three jobs for the first three months? Like first figure out how to preach every week. I was preaching once a month before. And that's that rhythm is really an adjustment. Then um, figure out how you're going to make this work for your family. So I had, you know, made baby gate in the office and tried to figure all that out. And the last thing was he said, just have coffee with with as many people as you can. And that was super key. So I ended up having coffee with, you know, about five people a week. And that meant that every Sunday I knew more people and they knew me. And I kind of was getting a sense of the story of the congregation. Um, There was some trust being built up. So amidst all that process, we ended up asking some questions together. And I think the key question for us was, um, what is God doing right now? Because I heard all these stories about what the church used to be. You know, we used to r- run habitat trips and go on these mission trips with youth. And we, they were, they were um, living in the glory days of when they were big and kind of grieving that they couldn't do that anymore. Um, or there was that sense of looking around at the congregations around you and comparing. You know, like, mm-hmm. well, they have a big program and they have, you know, all these um, outreach in the neighborhood. And so there wasn't, there wasn't that sense of, well, who are we? Like, what's what's already happening here? Instead of asking, what should we be doing? Let's look at what we are doing. And the the gift of that came from an article that I read about a guy who was um, just kind of ruminating on, you know, when they, in the Abbey, he said, in church, we know how to count success. We count success by butts in the pews and bucks in the plate, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, those are the stats. That's how we know we're doing a good job. But in the Abbey, do they are they counting how many prayers they're praying or how many jars of honey they're making? Like, how do they know they're doing it right? Was his question. Um, and so he had this little bit of a mind shift and thought, why instead of counting how many people are coming to church, why don't we count how we're being church? And began to count, you know, like um, the the Boy Scout troop that uses the building, and you know, the people who who drive for Meals on Wheels, which we had Meals on Wheels and. So we did this as a session. We sat down and I put up a big board and we asked ourselves, how are we being church? And of course, we counted butts in the pews. That was one piece of it. But once we got out to 
um, the groups that were using our space, the people driving Meals on Wheels, um, the the impact that people were having in their community individually and and communally. It was such an eye-opening experience for the session that they said, we got to do this with the congregation. So on Pentecost Sunday, we did that. And we got through those like first basic categories. <laughs> and then it was silent for a minute. And then someone said, well... Dee has keys to all of her neighbors' houses because she like lets their dogs out and lets in the meter people to, you know, whatever. And so then we were like, well, Dee and her neighbors. And then someone else said, well, my neighbor has cancer and we've been bringing meals. And so then that was counted. And then, well, you know, Carolyn works for a crisis hotline. So then that gets counted. And pretty Mm. soon people are seeing all these ways that they are being church in the world. Um, At the time it was General Assembly was in town and my PW, my Presbyterian women's group, had sewn these beautiful banners to be displayed at PW. So we were like, well, 4,000 more people <laughs> But what was really lovely about it is I think a lot of people who had that sense that our, our time is over, our church is done, um, I just hope it's around long enough to bury me when I die, got instead this sense of energy and joy about, oh my gosh, God is doing something here. And we are really we are being church. It just didn't doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. So that gave us a new a new question to ask, which is, um, what is God doing right now? And to to put our energy and resources towards fanning those flames and letting go of the pieces that um, we're not uh, we're done that we were feeling obligated to still do because that's what church does. But there was no more life around those things. So what then once we started asking those questions, the three words that came up for us were worship, hospitality, and Sabbath. And Sabbath was the the, the outlier. The, that one came from behind. We were not expecting Sabbath. Um, hmm. It came first through worship. So our, our our worship team had done a lot of work around. We, they had years before um, um, lifted the pews up in the sanctuary and put them in a circle which was a wonderful process. Somebody made a little scale model of the sanctuary with tiny movable parts and people could take them home and play with it. Um, So the whole congregation was kind of on board with that. Um, And so, and then they were really trying to be creative and and intentional about using all of our senses in worship and that sort of thing. So we had started to explore some different things we could do in worship and visited places where, I visited a, a, a church in England that had this beautiful worship service with prayer stations, and but they met once a month. So they had they had the capacity to actually design and create these services. Mm-hmm. So my initial thought was, well, do we have to meet every week? I came back and said to the to the session, you know, what let's let's talk about this. And right away everybody is sort of, yes, we have to meet every week. We are people who worship together every week. Does it have to look the same? And does it have to be on the same day? I mean, could we could we have these big services Sunday and then the following week just meet for prayer and a meal or something like that? Um, so it was there was a lot of like um, imagination and creativity and, and adaptation to the ideas as it went on. Uh, and but what ended up being the anchor for us was this uh, sense of Sabbath. I was reading the book um, Sabbath by Muller. See if I have this. Wayne Muller, I think his name is, um, and it, and just talking about how we we go at this nonstop pace in in the world all the time, and we're not pausing at all to take in our experiences. And our bodies and minds need the pause, and we'll take the pause whether we do it or not. 
like you will have a nervous breakdown or you will <laughs> you will you know get injured and then end up laid up in your house and you know sabbath comes whether you intend to do it or not but that sense of the rhythm so we took a sabbath retreat with the sisters of saint francis and learned about sabbath together as a congregation and some of the things that we learned were just i remember feeling kind of overwhelmed by like this is this gift that's given to us it's in our scripture it's in our faith and we completely ignore it um and learning learning about the jewish practice of sabbath and that sense that um as you as the day begins at sundown Mm -hmm. and then you you know you start your day from this place of rest and as you come out of the sabbath day then the following you know when it's over you 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 pass this bowl of spices and everyone inhales it and thinks, what are the, what is the sweetness and gift that I'm taking with me from the Sabbath into the rest of my week? Hmm. So once we began to learn about Sabbath, we thought we kind of came up with our structure, which was um, for one year, we're going to do an experiment where we worship um, on Saturday nights with a meal. And then we take the following Sunday as a day of rest every other week. So we would have a Sunday service. The next week would be a Saturday service. So there'd be two a month. And we decided to do a practice run. So it, we were going to kick off in September. The whole church was on board. It was a one-year experiment. I think for some people, that's why they were on board, because they were like, okay, I can do anything for a year. Um, then we'll go back to normal after that. So uh, we did a practice run in the summer. And the rules around it were, okay, we're going to we're going to worship on Saturday night. We're going to take Sunday off. And then we're going to come back Sunday night and, and have a potluck and talk about what was that like? What, what did we think of it? And at the time, we, we didn't have a music person. We were in between music people. So someone had offered to play um, Teze music, which we hadn't sung a whole lot of. So we, didn't, we were not familiar with the repetitive you know, melody line of Teze. And we knew we wanted some silence in the service. But like when you're just starting out with silence, jumping in at five minutes or something is a little bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so we did this service and the service itself was just an uncomfortable disaster. It was, <laughs> it was awkward and it was, I mean, it felt awful actually, but we had prepared ourselves then to go home and take Sabbath. And our, the rule we gave ourselves was to not do anything from obligation, to pay attention in the moment to what was happening in your soul? What were the promptings in your life? What were you noticing and being invited into as opposed to, oh, this is what I should be doing. So, and there was this magical sense. We we all went home. I remember driving home from from the service just like thinking, oh my gosh, this is, I mean, we'd been working for months to make this plan and it was such a terrible service. And I thought, okay, you know, they may pull the plug on this. We'll, We'll just see what happens got home and the next morning was the Sabbath day and we woke up and it was like Sunday morning. You're not going to, wasn't going to church as a pastor. Um, we sort of let the day unfold. We had a big breakfast. My daughter was two and she invited me to take a bubble bath with her. And we took a family walk at some point And like, I felt like I was playing hooky, sneaking past the neighborhood church with all the cars in the parking lot. And I mean, the day just stretched on forever. It just felt like strange and luxurious. And that sense of connection that there were people all over the city doing this thing with me. You know, I didn't know how they were spending their day, but we were all doing this thing together. Um, it just felt so rich and 
and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. So as I drove back that evening, I just remember thinking to myself, okay, that this could be it. It could have been for this one day because that service stunk. Nobody's going to want to do this. Um, but wow, this was such an incredible experience. And I got into the, the, the church building and Dennis, this was 14 years ago and people still talk about what that felt like. There was this, this calm sort of, um, energy in the space of just sort of joy and peace. And people were kind of talking about their days. And so we gathered together and we got, we laid out all the food and then we said, okay, what'd you do? What was your Sabbath day like? And the story started to come out. Mm -hmm. You know, we had one person who was very concrete and she said, you know, I, I knew I couldn't do laundry. So, and I didn't know what to do. And I opened up the paper and I saw that the butterfly exhibit was at the zoo. So I went and walked through butterflies, you know, and Someone else would said, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen my sister-in-law in a year and a half. And we, she came over, we had brunch for hours and, or, you know, someone said, I just sat on the front porch and read the paper and watched my neighborhood wake up. And there was so much, um, like the stories just poured out and there was so much joy around the experience. And then everyone said, yeah, that service was awful. We got to figure that piece out. <laughs> but this is worth doing. This is worth, we, and, and I remember sitting there thinking, we keep on saying, if we stop, God will meet us. And, and then, but it's real. I mean, I, I had this thing of like, it's not just words. It actually happened for all these people in all these different ways, you know, walking through, walking around the lake and noticing all of the, the pieces of nature and the people that they were walking past. And, um, and so we started the one-year experiment. And that's how it began. And that was 14 years ago. Six months into the first year, uh, we realized we had changed too much as a community and there was no going back to what was. We might go forward to something new, but the the returning to what was, the one-year experiment, it, that it wasn't going to work, mm -hmm. which was devastating for a few folks. And we had to do, we actually invited um, our parish associate, Teresa Latini, is an NBC-trained um practitioner and she taught our session some NVC and we broke the whole congregation into listening groups and we really had to work through like what needs are being met by this and what needs aren't being met and how do we how do we um, kind of keep adapting forward but we all stayed on board with each other and we have been practicing Sabbath together in this manner for 14 years which is amazing to kind of to hear that and that it kept going and how do you think that the congregation has changed from this experience because now it's it's been as you said 14 years that really is now a character of the congregation of who the the congregation is um how has that kind of change you know shown itself in in worship and in, in you know the governance and all of that in mission yeah yeah. Well, one of the things that we noticed um, a few years in was uh, the way that we approached things, the, the saying yes or saying no to different things was really affected by this. So, for example, we had had an intergenerational vacation Bible school one year that was just a hit. It was great. Everybody loved it. And as we were preparing to do it the next summer, um, the director was tired and didn't have the sort of energy to do it. And the, the volunteers weren't kind of showing up. And so we canceled it. And that was like, in, I mean, this is normal for us now, but at the time to cancel something that you've got on the books like that, because you're, 
you're preferencing the state of being of the people over mm -hmm. making the program occur was kind of a new thing. Um, another piece that came into that, I mean, this was a, it was sort of in the culture of the congregation that people would get stuck in different volunteer jobs. You know, mm -hmm. if you volunteered in the nursery, you were there for the rest of your life. <laughs> and our poor PW um, chair had been trying to step down for like 11 years and nobody would take the role. So this bad habit had happened, had begun to happen where people would leave the congregation in order to get out of these jobs. And then they would come back a couple years later and like with a clean slate. But that was the only way out. So we began every single year at our congregational meeting um, having this sort of check in time where where are you feeling the life and joy? What's been what was disappointing this year? And then what are you wanting to keep doing and what do you want to let go of? Mm -hmm. So we would ask it publicly every year. And it, it was really powerful when people would step out of their, like the treasurer would say, you know, um, I'm not feeling joy in this anymore. I need to be done. And people would applaud them for that act. <laughs> so that actually became part of our, our uh, vows or our, um, the words that we say when we, when a new elder comes on board, in addition to the, the things that you have to say as part of the Presbyterian liturgy, we add the question, will you serve out of joy and only as long as it gives you joy? Um, mm. And they say, I will. And then they do. I have had elders say, this isn't giving me joy anymore and step down. And Dennis, I have to tell you, it is, it is so much more preferable. And like, it makes me so glad to, to release someone from that than to have a, you know, grumpy, <laughs> reluctant elder sitting on session who doesn't want to be there and is not getting joy out of it. Um, so that has helped in a lot of ways. We, we kind of have this new uh, perspective that God is calling this congregation to, to ministry. We are all ministers. And, if, and that means that we all serve from our particularity and our passion and our joy. Um, and if there's some spot we're trying to fill that nobody is stepping into, either this is like a door God is trying to close mm -hmm. and we just keep putting the reluctant person in there to prop it open, <laughs> or there's some, uh, you know, there's some other thing that we're missing that, that God is calling us to because we keep looking over in this direction. Hmm. So that question about joy has been really big for us um, in all of the positions, volunteering to teach Sunday school, um, you know, not just not just being on session or whatever. Where where is that sense of of life and energy happening? So that's a big piece of it for us. We also have had a lot of new people come, and they come. Many of them come seeking that Sabbath rest. And those Saturday services have become their contemplative prayer services now. That have um, they have prayer stations, but they are the same text from the week before. So we on a Sunday treatment of it, you get your sermon and your kind of like your hymns and your worship mm -hmm. that is communal. And then on the Saturday, we've shaped these services so you could have 50 people there or one person there. And it would still be the same experience where there's these various contemplative prayer practices available. And the bulk of it is 30 minutes of beautiful music. And you're just in this sacred space, um, having a, a, an encounter with God that isn't mediated necessarily by my interpretation of scripture as the pastor or, you know, by how the message we've decided you should get from this. Instead, we're living with the scripture in a little bit more personal way. Mm -hmm. And there are people who have come now, especially younger people who work three jobs and have two kids at home and, you know, who 
there's a few of them who that Saturday night in a rocking chair in our sanctuary is the only time they sit down all week. Um, so that leading into, okay, now tomorrow is your Sabbath day. You know, do hold this day open um, just to be and to rest and to be present in your to yourself and your family and, and the world around you in a different way. So I, I think it's hard to under, it's hard to overstate how dramatically we have changed as a community from this practice. And it, it never feels like we've nailed it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think if we want to use some sort of rubric of, are you doing it right? We're always measuring ourselves and not doing it well enough. But even that rubric is something that Sabbath confronts. And so as soon as we start to say, no, I don't, I didn't really, I'm not resting on Sunday. I ended up doing that, you know, that, that itself is what Sabbath is meant to release us from. And so we kind of, we remind each other, you know, that sounds like you're talking from the way of fear instead of the way of God or, um, that sense that the measuring and comparing is what we're stepping out of on Sabbath, but we're people who are so addicted to this, to this, you know, what is a good day? A day is productive. I've achieved a lot of things. So when you have a day where your goal is to not be productive, how do you measure how productive that non-productivity was? It's, it puts you into this sort of crisis. Um, but that's a gift. So it is like a, it is like the hunger in a fast, like when that mm-hmm. restlessness and anxiety it rises up in you about not doing it right or about all the things you should be doing um, or should be praying or, you know, whatever, that that becomes a gift that you offer to God, like, oh, and to yourself, like, look at how restless, look how trapped I am in these, these mindsets that my worth is earned and productivity is the measure of a good life. Um, what a gift it is that I can at least acknowledge that and sit with the discomfort of that and trust that if I do on the other side of it, there's gift and there's blessing. So I think that's just been a whole communal shift for us. Do you think that it's because it sounds like a lot of the, the talk about Sabbath in many ways is putting the person before program. Um, because I think, yes. you know, a lot of churches, you know, you're right. There are people who they end up in a nursery and they're there for 30 years. And we don't ask them if this is giving them joy. Because, and you know, if it is, that may be great. There are probably people that do, but there are also people that they're tired. Um, and it sounds like this is much more permission giving or much more not obligation based as it is, I think the, the way it has been in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so key. The, the, that sense of, I mean, I think we think, oh my gosh, if we tell people don't do this, if it's not giving you joy, then they're going to stop doing it. And then who are we going to have in the nursery? <laughs> like then everything's mm-hmm. going to fall apart. But that sort of catastrophizing and urgency is part of the mindset that, that Sabbath is a resistance against. Um, and so we are just these people in this place. That's all a church is, is these mm-hmm. people committed to each other. It's not the building. It's not the traditions. It's not the way it's always been done. It's just these people seeking to, to follow God together and, and live their lives in a way that is honoring to God. So do you, if, if the one person who's been stuck in the nursery doesn't want to be in the nursery anymore and you release them from the nursery, and then you've got all these kids. Now what do we do with these kids? There may be all sorts of possibilities that emerge from from saying no finally to something that has been life draining 
and opening up to, well, God is doing something right here, right now with this group in this way and wants us all to be contributing from our joy. It might look different than what we thought it was going to look like. So I have an example of this, which is when our clerk of session um, left Ben, you know, Ben, to go Mm -hmm. to seminary. Yeah. And now the clerk job is open. And for Presbyterians, a clerk is like really important because doing things decently and in order is a hallmark of being Presbyterian. And this was a good Presbyterian church that knew its polity. You know, there was never any job that was unfilled. Nobody stepped up to be clerk. And I put announcements in and I invited and like one month went by, two months went by. And in the meantime, the session is taking turns, taking the minutes themselves or, you know, like figuring out how to get the clerk job done. And it stayed open for a year and a half. And a year and a half later, a woman who had left the church because she had been stuck in the nursery, who had come back to the church said, I kind of think being the clerk might give me joy. And she stepped in to take over the clerk job and was a fantastic clerk that, you know, she did a great job at it. And so that that trust of like, well, here we are another month without a clerk. What do we do? Um, I was both like horrified at first that no one stepped up and then also super proud of this congregation for how far they'd come to not just have to do things because they should be done and but to pay attention to where the where the energy and the life was. Um, So that, I mean, there's always some way, there's always some way through, even death isn't death. I mean, if the church, if nobody had energy anymore to be the church in this way, in this building, um, that doesn't mean that God's done. It doesn't mean that the, that the, the ministry of Christ and Christ's body in the world is done. I have a friend in Kansas city who he was having a really hard time getting people to be elders. And he finally started asking like, why are you saying no people? What is the reason? And almost across the board, it was because they were in this big old church building and they didn't want to spend a whole bunch of time and energy talking about how to take care of the church building. And so they shifted the conversation to, do we really need this church building? And they did like what your community did. They ended up selling their church building, which was a in the historic part of Overland Park in this beautiful area, made a lot of money from it and moved into the basement of a Lutheran church where they meet. OK, you know, they meet when the other church isn't in that space. And now they have this pot of money to do mission with um, that they never would have. It's just completely changed how their church functions. And it's because they asked the question, why is there no joy about serving on session? And it it wasn't the answer they thought that they were going to get or the direction the church thought that they were going to go. But if we believe and trust that God is already doing something here and it's our job to pay attention, um, then it becomes, how do we pay better attention to it? And sometimes the attention is, where is there a lack of energy? And other times it's like, where is there conflict or crisis? I mean, we I remember at one point we had, we had come when I came to the church, there weren't any children, but my own and the grandchildren of some members that were there occasionally. Uh, and as more children began to come, we created a space in the sanctuary for for children with, um, you know, kids seating and and activities and things like that. And it was great. And people loved having them because for a decade, they've lamented how much they missed having kids and they just loved it so much and they embraced them so well. Well, once that started growing and all of a sudden they had kind of outgrown that space and then we have these, you know, feral children running around the sanctuary, whatever, then the complaints started to come, you know, like, what, wait a minute, you know, what do we do about the kids? 
And I think sometimes paying attention to the complaints is a way to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so that opened us all up to say out loud, like, hey, you guys, look, we've outgrown this strategy we had because we have a different community now than we did, you know, two years ago. What, how do we incorporate kids more intentionally? And so we ended up shifting things so that we have multiple kids spaces, but also the kids now, I mean, not now after COVID, we're having to redo this all again. But at the time, the kids in Sunday school would uh, create a lesson for the adults. And so the children's time in worship was the kids teaching the adults something, either from the Bible scripture or about what worship what worship is. That was our initial unit was like, well, let's teach the kids how to worship and let's let them teach us how to worship. So the first day they made these um, pipe cleaner glasses for every member of the congregation. And they said, these are noticing glasses and worship is noticing God. So we're all going to wear noticing glasses today. Um, so giving them like roles in worship, they ended up becoming the ushers and the offering people. And um, they wrote the offering prayer and would pray it. Um, so that shifted what was possible because we paid attention to the complaining. So that's it too, is like, these things don't break us and destroy us. They're actually invitations into deeper life with each other. Why do you think it is that sometimes congregations don't want to stop or they don't necessarily want to ask the questions? Because I think a lot of what I'm hearing is really noticing what's going on and then also being willing to ask some questions. And um, I think a lot of times in churches, we don't want to ask questions um, because I think we're fearful what the answer is going to be. Um, exactly. And so why is that? And, um, and how do we kind of allow ourselves to become more of a culture that is listening and also being and, and asking questions when they present themselves? Yeah. So I'm going to take this kind of meta and say, I think, I think the, the, big, the biggest root problem of it is that we forget that God's real. Hmm. We forget that God is here and God is alive and communicates with us and is leading us and that this is actually God's church, not ours. It's not our church to preserve and protect and maintain and keep going. And, you know, it's God's. Um, and we we definitely have a role. We share in the ministry that God is doing, but this is not our ministry. So that's I think really key is is just coming back to that sense that um, we are participants. We're not we're not leading this thing. Mm -hmm. So that 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 job of listening or learning to discern together as a community what God is doing and and to follow that energy is is our is our job. It, our job isn't to keep the doors open or to keep the budget balanced or to you know make sure that these programs that have always gone keep on going. Um, and it, that's a scary and unknown thing. I mean, it, it's much easier to balance the budget than it is to listen to the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you think about like, here's your instructions, congregation. <laughs> like, we want concrete. We want things that are familiar. And if you you know, even just we like the rhythm of what which has been for us. And we we live under this delusion that change is a chosen thing. And it's as we've learned through COVID, it is not chosen. It's happening all the time. It's going to happen to you one way or another. Um, you can go with it. You can resist it, but you can't not change. Churches don't 
don't stay the same forever. They just don't. People die and people are born and, you know, things shift. Um, but I think it was Todd Bolsinger from Canoeing the Mountains who said people don't fear change. They fear loss um, mm-hmm. and the loss that comes with change. And so if you can talk about change and in, and in a way that also acknowledges and allows for the, the grieving of the loss, um, that opens people up, I think, to more willingness to change. I have I have a couple of um, examples of this. Like, so after we'd done all of this change and we'd moved to this new pattern, there was uh, the Sunday the the Saturday service after Easter. I said to um, Cindy Wonder, who was the intern we had with us, who was cooking meals on Saturday nights and getting our service ready. Like, I want to flip it around this week. I want to do instead of worship and then dinner. I want to have dinner first. Cause it's like when Jesus gathered in the upper room with his disciples and like, let's have this dinner m- meal first. So as people started coming into the building, I, you know, I said to the first few people, we're going to eat first downstairs and then we're going to have worship. And then, and there was a little bit of like irritation and scandal about it. And they started to tell the next people that came in who started to tell the next people that came in and it just grew. People were annoyed and there was, it wasn't, the, the energy just got very, um, very, very like negative and kind of worked up. And I pulled Mm. aside Sue Woodspeed, who was our elder, um, an elder at the time. And I said, okay, Sue, you need to tell me, is this the straw that could break the camel's back? Like, have I, am I at the end of my trust equity here with change? (laughs) Like, is this, and she was like, it might be a little much. And so I just, I pulled the plug on it on that moment. I just came out. I said, okay, we're actually going to do, Cindy, put all the food in the oven. We're going to do the service first and the and the dinner after. And I got up and I said, you know, this is what it was like when Jesus uh, came back. You know, everything people thought was supposed to be was not what it was supposed to be. And look at how much even just that little change made us uncomfortable. And just paying attention to that and, and to where people were and keeping people on board in a way that, Kept dialogue open. And part of the language of experimentation is so helpful because you're learning as you go. There's no succeeding at this. There's only living it. And mm-hmm. so you, you know, you the failure is an is an invitation into oh look well there's something needs to be shifted here in order to come to more you know resonance and connection for folks. Um, so just that continual adaptation is helpful, but. We're all afraid of change. I mean, I get annoyed if somebody's sitting in the seat I usually sit in, or if I I end up ordering the same thing at restaurants. It's not like, you know, this is easy for any of us in any way. But I think what we're missing when we get stuck in a rut in church is that if God is real and God is always active in the world and God is calling us in our own lives to participate in God's ministry, then this there is no stagnation of this. This is always going to be vibrant and changing and um one, one final example of that, we, we have a ham and cherry pie dinner. As you know, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. come to it or not, but 70 some years, this ham and cherry pie dinner, my first year there, I was blown away because I had, you know, 45 people in worship. And then I came downstairs on that evening for ham and cherry pie dinner and there were 150 people in the, in the building because people would come back from far away or neighborhood people would come. It was just a ritual of an important standing thing that Lake Nokomis held on to forever. And um, a few years ago, there was a little bit of exhaustion and rumble around the ham and cherry pie dinner. So we had a meeting. We just gathered everyone together and we said, okay, let's talk about this. What, how are people feeling about the ham and cherry pie dinner? 
and we took this vote and and the the two questions were um do you do you have the and do you want to do it would it give you joy okay very few people wanted to do it if we did it would you volunteer everybody raised their hand which was sort of hilarious um and so we decided we were going to not do the ham and cherry pie dinner and we're, we'll take a break maybe we'll do it again in the future but it everybody the general sort of feeling was relief about the ham and cherry pie dinner but what happened instead is all of a sudden this space opened up for the energy that was there and then we people said well we want to get together like we don't want to do we want to have some time with one another we ended up having our first staycation where we had a church-wide lock-in essentially all day on a saturday um, we had, we, we cooked together. We had people bring their skills. Like I can teach people how to knit. And, you know, I, I, I know how I'm going to run a little chess game over in this corner. And we had a nap time for the kids and we worshiped together at the end of the day. And it was this incredible experience that invited all of the folks who were new and the folks who'd been there for a long time in the dead of winter, right when ham and cherry pie dinner should have happened. Um, that never would have happened if we had, stuck with the pattern and the pattern's beloved. And everyone said, we love the ham and cherry pie dinner. We don't have the energy for it this year. Um, So those are just learning experiences. And the more that you try that, letting things go and watching what happens, um, the more brave you get about doing it more often, because always life comes into those spaces that you open up always. I mean, I I have, we have yet to see it happen where, where something beautiful hasn't come out of um doing less and saying no yeah you know it was interesting um our our final worship service in our old um location and we had a deep what they call a decommissioning service and one of the our elders came up and she has been a member of that congregation probably for about 50 years and um she said something to the effect that you know we're selling our building. We're not going to have a kind of a place to call home, but we have this other new place. And it was interesting in that there was a mixture of both grief, but also some sense of hope. And I think in the past, personally, I would have kind of dismissed what she would have said because it's kind of like, you know, get over yourself or something. But there was something about that that was important that mm. she needed to grieve that there was this thing that place that she had been a part of that we're not going to be there anymore and we're going yeah. to something new. Um, and so I think even going through this whole process for us as a congregation has allowed me at least in some ways even just kind of talking about Sabbath and everything is to, to listen to what people are saying and that not to always immediately dismiss what they're saying, that sometimes that there's a point there to be made. Um, yeah. And I, I think, think that, that's yeah. her, her capacity to name both things, the grief and yeah. the hope. Yes. Um, and, and to make space to allow those things to coexist. I mean, that is, that is people's experience. And that might be also part of why churches don't like to talk about all this stuff is that we somehow tell ourselves we're supposed to only feel the, the good things, especially in church, the things that are comfortable to feel, the things that are we associate with positive 
um, you know, emotions instead of realizing that, well, grief is a human need and the capacity to actually acknowledge and appreciate and, and express the deep love that is underneath of grief is, is part of even our worship. So I think, I think a pastor leading through this kind of change and, and, and wanting to embrace Sabbath in a culture that doesn't means being willing to be uncomfortable and to help your people be uncomfortable. And it's through the discomfort that new life comes. If we just spend all of our time avoiding the discomfort, we never, you know, we, we get, not only do we get stuck, but things are changing anyway. And so we end up out of sync and, and we never find our spot. Mm-hmm. But if we can be together in the discomfort and to, to trust that through that, God is going to do something. God is, God is here with us. Um, something always comes beautiful on the other side of it. You know, I think early on when we were talking about this, you talked about the whole how we tend to view things as butts in the seats and, and bucks in, 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 our, in the offering plates. And that's kind of been the metric in many ways that we measure. Um, even sometimes when denominations say we don't do that, we do. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, why is it that we do that? And then two why is it that we don't kind of think about this other way of, of actually being church instead and kind of to measure it in that way instead of in this kind of numerical way? Yeah. Well, for one thing, I don't (laughs) think that we are given any other way of seeing it in the world around us. I mean, especially Mm -hmm. as Americans, this is our, this is the worldview. This is the mindset. Um, One of the most, we actually talked about this last night at our session meeting again, and this is, you know, over a decade old, but this this concept that has helped us so much through this is seeing that in all of scripture, in all of the world around us, there's essentially two narratives at play. And uh, Brueggemann talks about them in his in his writings and things, but that we've been calling it the way of fear and the way of God. And in the way of fear, um, we are there is not enough to go around. You have to take what you can. Um, the people around us are competition. Uh, And so we are against them. Um, And it's about it's about making yourself secure at the expense of others, if necessary. And it is a urgent all the time, nonstop um, judging, measuring culture. And that's what we have everywhere. I mean, that is it is that's how we live. But the way of God is this this way of abundance that God there's there's more than enough already and that God creates and invites us into a life of abundance and connection and wholeness and that the people alongside us are siblings on this journey and everything we have is meant to be shared. And this life of generosity and hope is leading to a fullness where all wrongs will be made right and we can actually participate in that trajectory now. Um, and so that if these two competing narratives are happening all the time, can we be a people who get good at recognizing um, when one is is operating even in us? And we certainly import the way of fear into into church. I mean, coming out of the you know 80s and 90s, church church was modeled like a business, and so you assessed. I mean, even if you look at how personnel. Um, evaluations are done and how, you know, all of the way that a church is structured is, is in line with the business world. Uh, but that is not what the church is in, in the church. It's never, it's never about 
constantly bigger and better and more. It's always in the weakness and in the impossibility and resurrection coming out of death and life where you don't expect new life. I mean, this is what God does. Um, So what can we do as a congregation to continually remind ourselves and each other to shift back into that mindset of the way of God? And Sabbath is God's strategy to do that. I mean, in scripture, when you look at the people who had been enslaved for 400 years and their whole mindset was, that their existence was as slaves. And so, of course, they knew God and trusted God and worshiped God on their own. But the way their life was shaped was if they were productive, they were worth keeping alive. And if they were old or sick, um, they were not, their life was of no value. And so, you you know, in, in order to shift the people out of this mindset of Pharaoh as the leader and their life as about productivity into this mindset of trusting a God of abundance and wholeness and participating in this harmony of of the world around them. Um, God has to not just give them a new structure with the Ten Commandments, like, you know, in this new life, we don't um, kill each other, we don't steal from each other, you know, but also the big one, the hinge one between how we relate to God and how we relate to other people is the Sabbath command that every single week you're going to stop And for that one day, there's going to be actually no way to tell who is sick and who is well, who is um, who is rich and who is poor. Everyone is the same. You are all simply beloved children of God, cared for by God. Your needs are all met before you even know them, this this sense of being cared for and that you have to have this reorientation on a regular basis, or you're going to forget, you're going to fall back into that old way of being. And we have lost that as a Christian church. We've lost that sense that not only is our weekly worship about worshiping and praising God, it's also meant to to take out of us that, that insidious mindset of that sort of competition and, um, urgency and and judgment and to put us back into that place of trust and resting in the love and care of God and in our connection with each other that can't be broken. And so I think part of the problem simply is that our churches, you know, we, we model the culture instead of resisting the culture. Mm -hmm. And that's why Sabbath is such an incredible um, gift and invitation to come into a different way, come back to a different way of being. Yeah, and I think it's as um, we talked about at the uh, kind of as we were running up to this podcast is that uh, my own congregation is kind of doing something Sabbath-like. It's not necessarily how like Comus is doing it, um, which I think is also important because I think that there might be various ways of how we do Sabbath. But but I think it's 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 been a blessing so far in that we're not, I'm not feeling like we have to do all these things that it, it, it allows for space for listening, um, allows space to kind of see in a way that you haven't seen before. Um, and I also think I like how you kind of pick up that the other thing that I think we don't um, value enough in our, in how our current culture are actually the people who are there in the congregation, um, especially as they are graying. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's always this belief that if someone is older, they don't have quote unquote, the energy to do stuff. And physically that's true, but that may not be the case in other ways. And there is yeah. still, there is still worth because they are children of God. 
There is such richness and gift in in every one of the every community has has a purpose, a unique purpose inside the church, inside the body of Christ. And, um, when we were first making this shift, one of the things we did that was really uh, impactful for us was we asked ourselves. Our session met on a retreat and asked ourselves, "What are some of the the un, unspoken maybe?" things that we are believing, the fears that are holding us back from living into life the way we feel like we're being called to. And we named they named four fears. And the first one was our glory days are done. They were in the past. You know, we don't have a, a purpose now. The second one was we're too old and too small and don't have enough money. And and part of that is like enough for what? You're too old for God. You're too you're too small for God to work with. Like, it's a funny thing to tell yourself, but we were telling ourselves that. Um, and then the third one was, um, you know, we don't, uh, the same people do all the things that nobody knew does anything. And then the last one was, um, there's no place for you if you come in new because there's, everything's done. And so we said the exact opposites. We said, first of all, God is doing something here and now that incorporates the past and leads us into the future. And the second one was we are exactly the right size, the right makeup, and have all the resources we need right now for what God wants to do through us. And the third one was we all particulate, we all participate from our particularities and passions. You know, this is essentially every new person who joins us changes the whole congregation because all we are are the people that are here, you know, working in the way God is is prompting each of us. And then the last one was we all share the work of the church. This ministry is all of us. And we put them on the wall in our gathering room. And a few years later, our new music person said to me after she'd been with us a couple of years, I just love those. Those so characterize this congregation. And it was remarkable to hear her say that because we felt like liars when we said them and put them on the wall because we were like, we actually believe the opposite. <laughs> but as we sort of named that we had been believing these weird things and said said the way of God version instead out of God's abundance and care, they really did come to characterize us. And so that sense that, that every congregation has a unique calling and is already living it out in ways it may not be paying attention to yet and could put more, you know, resources and energy towards once it could recognize those things. Um, that's just such an exciting thing to me to think about. I, I love hearing about Dennis, about your congregation's, process. Can you tell me a little more how, what is it that you're doing that's making it, that is feeling like Sabbath and how are people, how are these insights coming? Well, one of the things we decided was to just not do kind of the normal things. There are certain groupings that we had that were, um, we just kind of decided that we're kind of like planning meetings that we just kind of decided we're not doing that right now. Um, a lot of kind of the mission activity, which I think was good in many things, but sometimes was more busy work. And I think people were starting to figure that, feel that. And so it just didn't, we just kind of held that back. And um, we have a um, member who joined about a year ago and she is a pastor herself. And she really thought that, um, she took the idea of one of our um, people who had talked about the Sabbath and then try kind of framed it and willing to remind people and the theme of the whole thing 
for the year is the church is its people. That church, it's not a building, um, mm. but it's the people. And so it's focusing on the people. Um, and so we are kind of starting it off in, in, and it's in three different phases. The first phase is focusing on, on kind of our individual um, spirituality. You know, where is God working in our own lives? Um, and so we're kicking that off actually this Sunday that will go through um, December. The second one is kind of um, how are we kind of doing that as a church um, and kind of learning who we are as, as a congregation um, and kind of going through that period. And then the third one is then, finally kind of going outward and then oh how do we relate to the outward community and yeah. all of those are intentional we're doing um a little bit of a different way in, in our worship and that um whoever is preaching on a sunday there's also going to be time maybe five or ten minutes where the rest of the congregation can come in and and finish the sermon so there mm. is a time of sharing. What were you thinking about? What were you? What questions came up? What um, insights came up? Um, so it's again. Well, that's lovely. You know, yeah, because I think you know, I think through all of these, it's very much asking questions. Uh, again, kind of a, a risk and scary, but that's important. Yeah. Also, it is really. Um, I think this was a congregation, especially where um, the pastor was very much the, the center. Um, and some of this is, I think, de decentering me, mm. um, which yeah. is good. <laughs> um, yes. And helping to empower them to know that they have that spiritual insight because they do. Um, and, and that this is more of a, a mutual thing that, you know, the leadership that I have is not that I, what I say goes, but it's more to kind of model or at least to kind of guide people. Um, mm -hmm. But to kind of be more intentional in, in all that we're doing. And I think that's, that I think is kind of what the, the centering part of the Sabbath is, is that we're really kind of thinking about what we're doing, that it's not just yes. doing what we've always been doing all the time. Um, because I think that that's, been the method of a lot of churches. And I think it's even when, you know, churches are trying to revitalize, sometimes the, the whole thing is that you got to do more. And, and right. it's like, uh, no, that that's, that's not working. <laughs> right. Believe me, I've tried that and it's, it's not going well. So I think that's what I'm kind of learning um, is, and, and to learn to listen and to, not be afraid of the, the questions or the answers. Yeah. If we're living in the way of God, then those aren't things to be afraid of. Even mm. conflict, even death, you know, the, these things don't end or destroy because God is always working to bring new life out of things. And so it, it opens up a new space for that. I love, I love that. Um, I love that intentionality that you're talking about. I think that that's, I think that's so key. When in doubt, stop instead of our, our 
are pre-programmed is when in doubt, do more, just keep going (laughs) or do what you've always done. Or, and there's something beautiful about, no, it's, if it's, if the core is about our being and not our doing, I mean, you think about all the places in, in scripture where God says, I desire like your real true heart of worship, not sacrifice, not, you know, (laughs) um, what a gift it is to actually, as a community, uh, do that together in a way of listening to each other and listening to God. And that has effects in people's own personal lives. I mean, I've, my kids are, my son's going to be 18 in two weeks. So my kids are 18 and, and 15 wow. and they have not in conscious memory had a life that has been without Sabbath as a central theme. And it has shaped them as human beings. I mean, they are able to say of their own lives, um, I need a day where I don't connect with anybody or I'm going to turn off screens today or I'm not going to go to that party or that event or I mean, saying no to things that sound really fun to do that they would love to do because they know their own capacity and it's too much to do all these things in the same weekend or whatever. I, I'm in my mid 40s and I'm still learning those skills. Um, so also that sense of like the, the, the love of God that holds us and holds this church and will hold you know, the ministry of God far after we're gone, you know, and has far before us is the, is what is holding us now. And that we get to be for this little chapter, we get to, our story is part of it. And that that's exciting. It's not drudgery. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes church becomes drudgery because it does. We feel a sense of like, I don't know, we're failing at it somehow. And how can you fail at being the people who believe in their love and that they're loved by God and then love other people? There's no failing at that. There's only learning to live into it more. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the other thing about Sabbath is that it might allow for more grace. Um, Because I think a lot of, sometimes a lot of our church culture is not built for grace, which is Ironic. Odd. Uh, yes, incredibly ironic. But I, I think that that's important and um, it's necessary for us. Yeah, the, the thing about putting people, understanding that we that the people are the church mm-hmm. is a huge, I think, of that, of that grace. And once we start paying attention to where, like right now, a, a word that we've been using a lot is capacity. Like, I just don't have the capacity for that right now. We don't have the capacity for that. I mean, as we're kind of restarting after this pandemic, so we're, we're just fiercely paying attention to both what are the needs that we're sensing that people need. And for us, that's joy and connection and play. But also, what do we have the capacity for? Like, it's better to do less rather than more. Um, it's better to underuse our our um, bandwidth than to overuse it. And so, you know, we are going to be church with each other for a long time. We don't have to cram it all into the next two months. You know, how do we how do we pace ourselves? How do we learn a different way of of attentiveness? And there's so much grace in that because then you, when you do that as a community, you start to be able to do that for yourself. You start to be able to do that for the people to recognize people's humanity. I think the pandemic has helped. It's given permission for people to say, I have COVID. I can't come. Or my, someone in my house is sick with COVID. We're, we're not going to that. It's given us a, at least one way to say no to things. And if mm-hmm. we can kind of like put our fingers in that hole and rip it wider, <laughs> give ourselves more permission to say no and to recognize each other's you know humanity and capacity, what a gift that is. So kind of to wrap this up, one if there is a someone out there, a congregation that hears this, they're interested in trying to do something Sabbath-like. 
what tips or what suggestions would you give them? Yeah, that's a great question, Dennis. Well, I mean, I, not to shamelessly plug my book, but my book is The Deepest Belonging is a story of how we kind of went through this process and, and how we um, are trying to live into that belonging as a congregation. So it provides some illustration and some hopefully like it can spark imagination for people to see in their own context. I do love what you said about, you know, it looks different in your church than in mine. It's going to look different for everyone because we're all different. And so there isn't a template necessarily, but it's, I think it's the courage to ask, to pay attention to what's going on in the life of your congregation, to name the things that need to be grieved, to celebrate the things that you know, need to be celebrated and to ask together, to remember together that God is real and ask, what is God doing here? What, where are the places where we feel that sense of aliveness and joy and like we are part of something bigger than ourselves? Um, because that's where, you know, that's where the Holy Spirit is at work. And how do we sort of go toward that? But I also think just that permission to say no and do less. And if there's, if you have questions around it, to actually step back and take space. One of the ironies about Sabbath, I used to do a workshop at the National Youth Workers Convention every year, and I would have a whole lot of people sign up for it because everybody craves it. We all want it. But then when the time came, less than half of them would show up because when you go back to your congregation, you want to show them that you got a whole bunch of new resources and that you learned new you know, <laughs> mixers and you did all this other stuff. And so there's a, there's a disconnect between what we know inside that we need and then what we actually do. And I think maybe just helping ourselves as a community sync those two things up a little bit to listen to that, that basic human longing for, for that fullness that isn't busyness, <laughs> for that sense of being present in our lives, actually being able to receive our lives is a huge piece. I have another friend who's a pastor who they started last January. They realized that the staff was just tired and they decided that the last week of every month they were going to take as a Sabbath Sunday and they were not going to meet as a congregation. They were just going to only meet three weeks a month on Sundays. And on the last day, it was a Sabbath day and it became um, a pattern. They've been in it now since then. And what, what came up from the congregation was various members of the congregation would say, I'll host people for a backyard bonfire on that Sunday if anyone wants to come, or I'm going to, I'll do brunch on my front yard. And so these sort of impromptu gatherings arose in that space, which is beautiful, but it also just fed and nourished the congregation to, to watch their leadership say, Hey, we need a break. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is the pace that's as human beings is killing us and we're not willing to live this way. And we invite you to not live this way either. And it's, it's, that's shifting the congregation. So I just think, I actually think the pandemic has given us a great platform for a reset for all of us to say, okay, coming out of this, you know, this shared crisis moment that sort of took away a lot of our patterns what patterns do we want to put in place that will be more life-giving and that will acknowledge our humanity more and our and put God as the the head of the church rather than ourselves? <laughs> what are some different ways we can operate going here on out? So if people want to learn more or, or kind of learn more about follow you, where on on you know what websites, books, anything that they should should be looking at? Yeah. So my my first book is called The Deepest Belonging. I'm just wrapping up my second book now that's going to be called The Liturgy of Living. 
Um, but so that is available at Amazon or anywhere. And I have a blog called In the Here and Now, which is um, some of these reflections. It's a lot of also sermons and things. Um, my husband and I have Root Creative, so we have a very basic website <laughs> for that. Um, but I'll, I'll be like I'm speaking at the Connext conference that's coming up and there are some some things out there that are going on. But again, this is such a funny thing, Dennis, because the more that Sabbath has become part of my life, the less engaged I am in social media and those sorts of platforms because of the hold it used to have on me. Mm. I'm finding myself like, how do I preserve my own humanity and my capacity to be present in the world means I'm actually less present now on digital platforms. Um, so I, you know, I think you can find me if you look and I'm happy to respond. And I also think there's a lot of great, you know, thinkers out there. Brueggemann's book, Sabbath as Resistance, is fantastic. Um, there's a lot of really good Sabbath books that have come out in the last decade or so. I think even even like the corporate world is starting to acknowledge that this pace we've all lived in is not sustainable. Yeah. So. And I, I think that's the other thing at some point I want to dive into more is how the rest of society is looking at at things. Because um, I think you're yeah. right. We've been on a treadmill and as bad as, as I think, you know, I don't want to say COVID was a blessing, but I think it's forced us to really think about stuff and think about really how are we and living our life? Because when either you're sick or you can't go out and do stuff, all of a sudden it just kind of changes everything. It does. And when we all were forced to put things down, I don't think many of us feel like we can pick up the same number of things we were doing before, because how are we doing all of that? <laughs> I mean, when we, when our economy and everything, our whole mindset is shaped around always more, always more, always more, there's got to be a natural limit at some point. And mm-hmm. maybe COVID helped us realize that we either hit it or surpassed it at some point. And we have to reset those goals. Mm. But, Well, Kara, thank you for taking the time to chat. Um, This was a really great conversation. It was fun. It was fun to see you again. I'm so excited for your church, too. I I look forward to hearing how this journey is for you guys. I'd love to learn from from your experience as well. Well, we will definitely talk probably, since we are in the same area, have coffee or something and and chat a bit more off this record, you know, off of a podcast just yeah, to yeah. talk about where things are going. Cause it's, it's a fascinating journey and um, I'm definitely interested to see where we, where it ends up. All right. Thank you so much, Dennis. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. that you enjoyed the episode um, just to let you know there are our links to Kara's book and blog in the show notes so definitely look into them um, uh, just I wanted to end with a few things um, the first is that I think I'm going to start putting um, 
more of our the interviews back up on YouTube, which is something I haven't done as much lately, partially because I go through the experiences where I'm really, really um, kind of obsessed with things. It's been for a while. I was really obsessed on trying to get stuff on, on YouTube, and then I kind of moved on. But I do want to get things back, hopefully not in some obsessive way, but to put um, video versions of the um, podcast there. So um, please consider going to our YouTube page and you can actually find that by going to our website at uh, churchinmaine.org. Second thing is, wanted to lift up a podcast by two friends of mine, um, the God and Whiskey podcast. This is hosted by two United Methodist pastors, uh, Drew McIntyre and Evan Roarstodge. And um, basically, the podcast is what it is. It basically is two pastors talking about God while drinking their favorite whiskey. I think that you will like it, even if you're like me and um, don't drink that much. I have had an occasional whiskey, but I um, I am not the aficionados that these two guys are. But... Um, you will enjoy it. So just type in God and Whiskey on your favorite podcast app to find a podcast. And then finally, just a reminder that it does um, take a lot in resources to make great content like this available to you. So if you can, consider making a donation um, by going to Church in Maine's website. And again, that is churchinmaine.org. That is it for uh, this episode of Church in Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Again, thank you so much for listening. Um, If you found this podcast enjoyable, would love that you please share it with others. Take care. Godspeed. And I'll see you soon.